Hi, this is Mark Pillow, Nuclear Man from Superman 4. I'm going through an interview now with the All-Star Superfan Podcast. And I'm looking forward to you listening to us. Hope you learned something. And it's a great joy to be here. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman. And we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman. And we cover everything. Hello and welcome to the All-Star Super Fan Podcast, where our quest for peace takes us across the 85-year legacy of the Man of Steel through comics, TV shows, movies, and more. If this is your first time coming to the show, we've got it all. Interviews with the greats, deep dives into the most beloved corners of Metropolis, the breathtaking landscapes of Smallville, and the best hot dogs in Milton Keynes. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Rob O'Connor. A lot of people like to think of me as the mad fanboy. I like to think of me as just madly eccentric. I'm joined by Mr. Alan Burke, nuclear strategist from Athlone's top think tank and a great warmonger in his own right. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing pretty well, Rob, but uh, the sun is blinding my eyes here tonight. Exactly. You know what the sun is? Nothing more than a huge nuclear bomb with so much radiation it incinerate the average man like that. I, Lex Luthor, greatest criminal mind of the modern era, have devised a way to destroy Superman. He'll have the biggest surprise of his life. I'll introduce him to his first nightmare, a nuclear man. And he's here with us tonight! We are delighted to welcome to the show, star of Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, nuclear man himself, Mr. Mark Pillow. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I have to say, before we came on, we, we've interviewed a lot of people, Mark, but before we came on, I, I turned to my wife and I was like, I'm actually feeling a little bit uh, trepidatious about this because I've, I've grown up with Mark just kind of growling and snarling <laughs> throughout my childhood years in this terrifying way. So to, to, to be face to face with you is, is, is outstanding. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's good to be here. And to actually have a smile on my face, not just be uh, <laughs> growling and yelling. Yes. <laughs> it's great to be here, guys. Thank you so much for asking me. Our huge fans. We we talk about the film regularly. We, we the podcast covers the full eighty five year uh, legacy, uh, the history of Superman in all its various forms. We cover uh, comic books, films, TV shows. We cover radio shows from the forties, the whole thing. Um, and we often talk about Superman four. Um, Rob is a is a huge fan. We're both huge fans. It was the first Superman film, um, that I remember. I was three four years of age when it came out. I remember seeing the trailers for it and everything. So it's it's huge for, to have you on. We're so so grateful to have you. Thank you so much. Mark, uh, before we talk all about Superman 4, uh, obviously you're going to be appearing at GalaxyCon on March 24th through March 26th uh, yes. in the Great Greater Richmond Convention Center. So if you're in the uh, Virginia area, please check that out. Mark, we want to ask you, first of all, we asked this of all of our guests, um, who was your first Superman? So was it Christopher Reeve or were you exposed to the character maybe before that? Was there a different version that you kind of grew up with or anything like that? Christopher Reeve. Um, most of my younger years, I was growing up in Africa, so I didn't see the series um, and in comic books. But the first time Christopher, the original, the first Superman movie, that was my first introduction. And yes, we, we all, it just still resonates with all of us about how wonderful that film still is to watch. Amazing. And you mentioned to us uh, that you know, you know you were born in Leeds. And you, you just said you, you spent some time in Africa. Did you see it in the United States or where did where did you see the movie? Do you remember? I did. It was, it was, it was 78, 1978. I was uh, back in Texas at Texas A&M University. So back in the States. Yes. I've, it, it's funny you should say about Africa. I, I've never actually said this on the podcast before, but um, uh, one of my father's memories a story he told me um he actually saw superman the movie for the first time in africa um as a young man he he was on on a safari with uh, with his parents with my grandparents at the time and it was showing in in africa and he that's where he, that's where he first saw the film so uh, it's a it's a small world it is a small world and over there actually the only thing i saw as far as series back then i think we had two hours of television at night was the original star trek series Amazing. With, with with shatner so yeah we're huge star trek fans too yeah, yeah me too and did you had you seen all three had you seen all three of the films prior to appearing in the fourth absolutely i i'm a big fan of superman i mean it was the comic book that i read 
all my young years was always Superman. It's just, it's incredible how, how ironic about how things fall into place that all of a sudden you're putting on this costume across from just one of the best Supermans. I mean, I, I think everybody since him has done a great job, but Chris playing that role, just amazing to watch. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a league of his own. Can, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about, Mark, how you ended up donning that iconic uh, kind of, will we call it a unitard? Was it, was it, what, what kind of material was it exactly? It's about, about a spandex material, and it's actually two pieces. So the belt covers part of it. Um, that wasn't the original design. I, I saw the original design. I came in, and I had some ideas of my own, and they incorporated some of those into it, like taking off the sleeves and wearing gauntlets. That was new to the to the the, the, the costume. Very comfortable costume, actually, to wear. And were were they receptive to that, Mark? To 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 your input and and and, and things like that. Were they were they open to that? It's amazing about how open these wonderfully creative people are, and. They actually want your input. What do you think? What do you sense? What would you like to do? They might not always go that direction, but I think as an, I would say to any young actor, that's part of what they bring you in for is that creative input from you. What do you see for the character? What are your visions for the character? So yes, they, they were, they certainly listened to the ideas. Maybe didn't always go the direction I was thinking, but uh, the character didn't have a lot to do Anyway, I mean, it's pretty one-dimensional in most ways. But um, yes, most ideas, they ran them by me or asked me my opinions or thoughts about anything you would like me to try to do differently. I have to ask, Mark, on, on, the, on the topic of the, the aesthetic and the design of the character, uh, one of the most iconic things about Nuclear Man uh, was his epic 80s mullet. Uh, the, the flowing blonde mane that you had in that film. Was that your idea? Was that a hairstyle you already had? Or did they kind of have that in mind? Or Oh, that was me. That was the 80s. You think back <laughs> on, on the, the big Rob, hair. Rob wasn't there. He doesn't remember. He yeah. wasn't there. <laughs> I, was, I was there for I 10 days, you, Alan. <laughs> the 80s was an unbelievable time. But you think about the 80s, the rock, the bands. Everybody, it was all about big hair. That was kind of a, the look back then. So that was my hair that I had, I don't know, back in that time that was Southern California look. Yeah, all that all that Sunset Strip band culture, all Poison and all those guys. I'm, I'm a huge fan of kind of 80s hair metal and stuff even to this day. So, yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the audition process, Mark, and what was involved in that? Well, I was actually in Denver at the time working on a play, and they contacted me from L.A., and I flew out to L.A., rented a car at LAX, drove out to, um, was, it, was it at Cannon where we first met, where I met Sydney? Walked into the room, had a great meeting with him. He said, I want to see you. Let's, let's have lunch. And it was just, it was amazing how quickly everything started happening. I think I was in London within a week after that initial meeting. So I think he, possibly he had an idea and I was what he was looking for or his idea for the part. So we, we just mostly was just speaking about uh, capabilities for the flying and I I think he already knew that I was a skydiver and I was a hang glider pilot. So he knew he was going to be comfortable in the harness and being up high and moving through the air. So that was a big part of it as well. Can I ask actually, Mark, uh, were you familiar with Sidney J. Fury's work uh, before the film? Because he, he directed a couple of really interesting movies in the 60s. He directed a movie called The Ipcris File with Michael Caine, which I think is very good. Had you seen any of those? Or were you familiar with them? I had seen The Ipcris Files. Um, I believe he did the one... With Redford, um, I can't think of the name of it now, but I certainly knew of his films. Yes, that was your first feature, Mark, was it? First feature film, yes. Wow, what a what a what what a one to start off on. <laughs> I must say, I, I still I still think back of getting to London and then heading out to to Elstree, being fitted, and meeting Gene, and heading back to my room, and I of course couldn't sleep because of jet lagged, and just sitting on the edge of the bed, just going. Wow, now how things that life can change and uh, just just almost overwhelming sense of the, 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 just the fun of life if you're open to the possibilities and and to saying yes to things. Yes, sounds good. I'll be there. Yeah, 
yeah. And was was there much time between, say, the, the time you were cast and then the time you were on set? Was was that is that a matter of weeks or months or days or not long? Six weeks maybe. So yeah, I you know getting over there, um, I feel like I was there for probably three weeks before I actually was on camera. I visited, met met everybody, went to the sets, watched some of the filming, but pretty quickly. Um, and were you trained up in the kind of the, the 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 wire work and the harness and all that kind of stuff? Um, was that was that part of that initial sort of pre-production process for you? I did a bit of practice with Bob flying, and then Chris was also gave ideas about okay, this is when you when you move out of a uh, into the flight or when you step out of a shot, that kind of thing. So, um, but we were we were learning a lot on film picking it up as we go and just retaking something if it didn't look quite appropriate. Mm. Uh, not, not a lot of time rehearsal and that type of thing. It's pretty much, well, you know what it's like to be hanging in a harness. So you got it. Now you go with it. And it's, uh, it's interesting with the harness and the flying and all that kind of stuff. I've heard other actors, especially the actors from the, the Superboy show, which came out a year after as Superman 4 and I believe Bob Harmon did work on that in some capacity or he was a consultant on it and they've spoken about how kind of daunting and and frightening it was and how they came very close to injury on a couple of occasions and things like that was there anything like that for you like was it ever frightening or was there any injuries or close calls or anything like that not with the harness on um I think of times outside in the winter dangling 100 feet above the ground just sitting up there waiting um the only time i was injured was fighting on the moon and it didn't have a harness on i was actually using a trampoline to come in from an angle uh but the flying part now a little hard on your back holding yourself in that position but that that harness was was very well fitted to hold you um but that's the only thing that and chris mentioned that as well that after doing three of the films his back had taken a bit of a beating from doing it. And I can see that it's an odd position to hold yourself in, especially when shooting blue screen where you're doing it over and over again. And and that injury that you sustained, Mark, was that, that was a broken foot, am I right? Broken foot. Yes. And how, how did you manage to, to continue on with that then after that? Did you have much left to film or? You know, it, they would just bind it up and then pretty much have to cut the boot off at the end of the day because the foot would swell up. But it was not a bad break. I think they almost call it like a dancer's break. You came down hard on it. So the foot was black, but it worked. And the only time that you really notice is if you see outtakes of me leaving the moon set, you'll see him after maybe lean on somebody's shoulder to get down off the set or limping a little bit or moving as slow. And it's because the, 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 the foot was, was injured. So we, I, they, they did. They were grateful to say thank, you know, thank you, Mark, for continuing. We didn't need to bring a stunt person in to cover you. I was like, I, I got this. Don't you know? We'll, we'll work through it. Excellent, excellent. And like we've seen, kind of behind the scenes um, images and, and footage of that scene, that particular scene, that uh, uh, moon scene being being filmed. Um, and it, it seems to be when you when watching that footage that Chris really took an active part in kind of directing that sequence was there a point when kind of chris maybe kind of stepped in a little bit and and, and took over directing or what was the the reasoning behind that was he just really actively involved in that one sequence or was that was it like that in in other sequences he was he was he directed the entire moon moon sequence that was his i don't know part of his contract or what he asked for but that was that was all him filming the moon Uh, but he didn't he didn't film any he didn't kind of direct any other sequences not that i can think no of no that was that was his deal. I feel like he may have also directed the scene. I, it wasn't the scene you were in, Mark, but the scene where he lands in uh, in Milton Keynes and and he's directing the crowd and they're all following him. I I recall the 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 guy who played the hot dog vendor did a, an interview and he said that it was Chris Reeve directing all of that. So I I feel like he he may have been kind of a second unit director in some capacity in some scenes and stuff like that. But um, you you, you did mention Gene Hackman a while ago. I, I have to ask. He's still with us, thank goodness. Uh, what was he like? It, it must have been very, very daunting to work with someone of such a stature. Like, what, what was it like? Your, your first picture working with Gene Hackman. Amazing. I mean, he had been working. If you remember back then, he was probably the hardest working actor out there. He was putting out five movies a year. Um, I learned so much from him. This is the professional way that he approached the work. 
I would get to the set and he'd already been there an hour walking the set. Yeah, he, he was a Marine. He is a Marine. I think you're always a Marine. So he had that discipline. So we spoke about that. We had lunch quite often and he, he just was able to interject that idea of being comfortable there and it, what it takes to get you comfortable. If you need to run it a few times till you get to that point, but he already had the had an Academy Award by then and was working all the time. It was amazing to watch. Um, if you're going to watch, if you get to stay off camera and watch an actor work, that's one of them to, to see. I mean, even I think even Kevin Costner said, oh, my gosh, incredible to watch him work. Yeah, I, I only recently watched uh, The Conversation. I, I think that's the film he won the Academy Award for. I only saw it there a week or two ago. And you forget just what a, a sublime actor he really he really was in his, in his heyday, especially back in the 70s and, and going into the 80s and stuff. Uh, do you remember meeting Chris for the first time or seeing Chris in costume for the first time, what that was like? Yes. Uh, we drove out to the farm. He was filming out there. And he came over and, and got a chance to say hello to him. And he was in the the outfit. It was amazing, the costume, just to see him because nobody looked like him. He has just this, yeah. just looks like Superman. It's amazing to see. Even in street clothes, he looks like Superman. And to watch him and to sit across from him in makeup or beside him and watch the transformation and to see the way he changed as a great actor does. When you put on the costume, you put on the makeup and you start to morph into uh, and, and he certainly did. So that's it. I, I, you, you, you can't help but think the first time you saw Christopher as Superman. And it's so funny because I remember hearing, uh, listening to an interview with Annette O'Toole, who played Lana Lang in Superman 3. And she said something very similar that she she had been dealing with Chris kind of as, as Clark Kent for all of her scenes. And then one day she just turned around and she, she heard someone say, you know, hello, Annette. And she turned around and there was Chris in his costume. And she said that it was just it wasn't Chris. Chris was gone. And it was Superman, and he was standing there. It must be like there's so few people who got to experience that. It's it's it. It must be an absolute privilege. I I can't imagine what that must have been like. You know, people ask me all the time, "Did you know at the moment when you're working what a privilege it is?" Oh, absolutely. I mean, every day showing up at the set, going, "This is an incredible privilege to be allowed to do this." Um, and it wasn't a moment that went by. It's almost like you want to look back and wish. I wish I could have enjoyed it even more than I did. And, but I did enjoy every single moment of the process that I was there. I must say, I know most of your scenes, Mark, or mo most of your scenes on a set were in the Lex Luthor lair that's kind of inside the Empire State Building. I've always thought that that was a fascinating set and he had the arcade machines in the corner and it was, it was so quintessentially 80s in the best possible way. Uh, I don't know. Do, do you have any like memories of that particular set and what was in it or anything that maybe we didn't see in the film or anything like that? Because it, it seemed like there was loads kind of going on in it that maybe we didn't oh, see. It was, for one thing, I'd say it was an incredibly impressive set to walk on to. I, I think, it, again, for, first big film to see the whole process and what set designers can do with it with a space. Amazing set to spend time on. And our listeners can't see it. I'm just, I'm just blown away by it. Um, our listeners can't see you, Mark, obviously, because it, it, it's audio only. But when you speak about the production, you can see yourself beaming. Like you can, you're really smiling, talking about it. It's uh, like you can see that it really was a, a magical time. And um, just in relation to other actors who were on set besides, you know, Gene and Chris, like Mariel Hemingway and John Cryer, what was it like working with them? I, I, like I think people forget how how big John Cryer was at the time. You know, he was in The Breakfast Club and other kind of um, uh, Brat Pack films of the time, and you know. He played Ducky and everything, and he's returned recently to live action, playing Lex Luthor on the Superman TV series, which is which is great. What was it like working with the, with those two actors? John is so funny; he's always on. Um, a lot of time in the car, back and forth in the sets, a chance to talk about, and just an amazing guy. And to watch his career over the decades afterwards uh, with Two and a Half Men, I mean, incredible. And Mariel riding out the set, and she was, of course, already well known in her own right for Manhattan, I believe she did with that. And she um, didn't have as much chance because I didn't have a lot of scenes with her. And, and thinking about uh, just recently about how many scenes didn't actually make the final cut with her, but she is so striking in person. And she, I don't know if you noticed the nuclear man was even in the shot when you're standing next to Meryl Hemingway, but uh, <laughs> it was quite the privilege though. 
I, I did want to ask you about that, Mark. Um, I'm a big fan of a lot of the deleted material from Superman 4. And uh, I, I watched uh, a, a cut of, that a fan made recently where he, he put all the deleted material back in and then uh, he added in all the music from Alexander Courage's score. And it's a really nice presentation. Now, obviously, the, the deleted scenes are unfinished on the DVD. They're kind of scratchy looking and that they haven't been cleaned up properly and all that kind of stuff. Are, are you are, are you uh, familiar with the stuff that is deleted? And it, is it something that you're passionate about that that we see that full version of the film at some stage? I would love to see Sydney's first cut of the film with Clive. I think he did an amazing job. I've only seen outtakes. I've only seen what you've seen. Whatever made it to to YouTube is the only bits that I've seen of the Nuclear Man number one. Um, but I think it would certainly add a whole new dimension to the film, plus more explaining how people knew each other. I think it was, it was an interesting choice they went with to cut it the way it was. But I've always said in any way, if I could possibly help um, to put together a version. Now, Warner Brothers, I suppose that they wanted to green light something like that. They will and may probably thought about it, but... Um, the idea of someday seeing the full version of that film would be truly amazing. There's a really impressive scene, I think, where uh, Nuclear Man kind of transforms into pure energy and explodes into the sky. And it cuts to all this news broadcasts of them, you know, as if a bomb is about to drop. And it really ramps up the tension. And you're going, why did they delete this? Like, it would, it would have been such an exciting kind of thing to happen in the final act. So again, yeah, totally agree. It'd, it'd be amazing. And I think I've said it a good few times that there's some amazing Gene Hackman scenes as well that, that, that were deleted. And I just, I've no, I've no real explanation for it. And, and it does, as you say, it does offer more insight as to why Nuclear Man uh, kidnaps Lacey, Mariel Hemingway's character in the final act. Because that's kind of foreshadowed by Clive Mantle's character earlier in the film. So yeah, yes. it would be amazing to see uh, it, it come together. Because eventually. the interesting thing is we, we reviewed the Superman 4 uh, comic book adaption, which came out back in 87. And almost all of that stuff, if not all of it, is, is, in, is in the comic book. Um, so you can really see the completed kind of vision of what was intended before the cuts were made. And it's amazing to see, you know, the story elements that were dropped, rest, you know, restored in, in, in the comic book. And just to that to that point, uh, it must be I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but I mean, um, Nuclear Man seems to have made the transition into comic books as well, which is amazing. Seen some of the some of the work. Wow, they make me look good <laughs> yeah it's we, we we reviewed a book there recently as superman and lois that it's a, a comic book tied in with the, the new tv show and there's a there's a full splash page in that uh, in that book of of tyler hecklin superman fighting you um which is incredible i don't know if you've seen it but yeah it's 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 stunning it's great would you like to see nuclear man kind of maybe return to live action in some form return to the tv series and kind of make a comeback absolutely i think it'd be great yeah. fun yeah absolutely i i think i think we'd all love it i think once i saw that page i was like i would love to see this in the in the tv show and, and mark it continuing in the tradition of superman actors returning in other roles on tv shows and, and so on would you be open to reprising the role in some way or or a similar role in a superman tv show or movie oh absolutely just give me some time in, in the gym oh stop man you look great <laughs> Um, just another thing I, I was wondering about, uh, did you know going in that you were going to be dubbed over by Gene or was it kind of a, a David Prowse situation where you didn't find out until you were sitting in the theater or how did that come about? How did that work? I didn't expect it until they recorded Gene's voice. Now, what's so odd about the way they did it is they didn't have me do the, the, the character first then have Gene come in and use his voice. So I'm actually voicing my lips to a playback. That's why in many ways, if you watch it, it looks, I mean, Nuclear Man is already a bit wooden anyway, but because I'm, I'm thinking about the countdown to the actual dialogue to match the dialogue. So, and I'm not sure whose choice it was, but of course, whatever you want to do, Governor, I mean, it's, uh, that, that's your choice in the film. But I, it, it's a little interesting now, having worked more since then, that wondering possibly let me have done the voice in the beginning, and then go ahead and, and a little bit dub it afterwards. But 
Um, going into the role, I didn't know that was going to happen. That was going to be my voice. That must have been extremely. Res- that must have been extremely restrictive as a performer trying to to act a part, and then your your mind is focused on just timing and lining. It was. I, it was. A, it was a bit odd to do it. It was maybe like a a singer performer who's who's on stage performing to their own music, but it's a playback. That's the way that it kind of felt. So uh, with a bit of practice, and of course we were. I missed it a couple of times, or my mouth was. But it was a. a, a, a a challenging way to do something and, and looking back now with more experience in, in, in front of a camera of um, as opposed to use my voice and then choose whoever's voice you want to put in place. But back, it's not like I questioned it. If that's what you want to do, of course, I'll do the best I possibly can to match it. It's a, it's a very strange choice. Like with someone like David Prowse who played Darth Vader in the Star Wars movies who was obviously dubbed over by James Earl Jones, I can understand it because when you actually listen to the live footage of him saying the lines, he's got a very strong West Yorkshire kind of, you know, uh, um, rural accent. Whereas talking to you here, I mean, you have a great voice. You well would have been able to do the lines and do the part and perform the part without being dubbed over. It's it's it's, it's a strange... Like, even if that had been something that they had decided to do early on, I'm surprised that when they heard you speak that they weren't eager to scrap that idea altogether. Interesting. I, I often wondered, I never asked why the choice was made. It was just, yeah. okay. But it was interesting that you make that comment too, because now you actually hear my voice, what I, what I sound like in person. But like, your voice is not too dissimilar from that. Like, even when you say my voice, like that's a, that's a word, that's a word, that's a sentence that you, that is said in the film. You know, no, you have my voice. Like, and yes, you exactly. sound incredible at it. I, I, I just, it boggles the mind. Because obviously before we spoke here tonight, I'd never really heard your voice properly before. So I didn't know, you know, what kind of, maybe you had to have a very strong accent or something that would make an issue. Or it's, I, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think it's an awful shame that they didn't include your original voice. Mm, thanks. Thank you. Well, I did say when if they ever wanted to do it again, if they wanted to ask me to do my own voice, even though, it's such a great privilege to have. If you're going to have your voice dubbed by somebody, Gene Hackman would be a good yeah. choice. <laughs> Absolutely, but, but it would be it would be fun to to use my own voice in that part. I, I do admit. Uh, Mark, I, I wanted to ask you as well. Uh, th- there is a photo of you. Um, it's it is a rare photo. I've, I've only ever seen it once or twice. I believe you attended the premiere the premiere of the film in costume as Nuclear Man. Can you talk to us about that? And were you freezing? <laughs> That day, I try to think of the, what the weather was like. Well, when I came, when I got to London, I had a tuxedo already waiting. That was probably the decision was made. And Canon asked me, uh, maybe the day before, would you like to wear the outfit? And so I, but if I think in the beginning, if Chris had gone, they really wanted to fly him into Leicester mm. Square as a photo op. So they asked me to wear the costume, which was a bit odd because I'm sitting especially next to Princess Diana in spandex, you know, and otherwise I would have been in a tuxedo <laughs> sitting next to them. Um, but I, I, I do get the idea of using it as a photo op, but that I didn't know that going in when I got to London, that all morphed into that decision while I was there. And, and on the, to- on the topic of Canon, actually, I, I have to ask you, you know, Superman four obviously was a Canon picture uh, Canon were, were, were kind of a, a colourful uh, production company. Did you meet Golan and Globus themselves or did you have any dealings with them? And what were they like? Because they seem like they were like very kind of quirky characters. Very quirky. I didn't meet them before the film. It was months later after it was released. I went by Canon for some other role. But I, I knew them by reputation. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it at that <laughs> quirky's a good choice yeah at what point because a lot of the listeners who are who are aware and we've spoken about uh, Super, uh, Superman 4 the, the quest for peace before on numerous occasions and we've spoken about how a lot of the budget was diverted towards other projects to keep them afloat like the Masters of the Universe film from 1987 and stuff was there any point during the production itself where you started to feel like something was amiss or something had kind of gone off the rails a little bit, or was it ever kind of indicated to you that things weren't going according to plan? I can't say that I knew anything about that. Uh, Possibly Sydney, not as visible as before, not seen as much and maybe a little upset. But again, I knew nothing of this, of the the cuts that were going on. 
Um, even Chris kept it to himself. I, I think they just decided to do, we'll do the best we can with what we have. So it was, it was after, long after before I knew about the basically cutting the, the budget in half, which hurt the film. I have to, I must say that's, uh, that's, those are expensive films to make. Yeah. And when mm. you watched this, did you watch it for the first time at the premiere? Was that? I did. You, that was your very first time in costume beside Princess Diana. Yes. That's incredible. That's incredible. And w- when you were watching it, like, were you surprised to see like Clive was gone and, and the, the story had changed so much? Or were you kind of aware of that? Was not aware. I, I remember watching the film, remember watching the film wondering, well, where's Clive? Or where's that? Where's this part from the script? So, so as the film played, that's the first time that I learned anything about the new way it was cut and how the film was so much shorter than what I expected it to be. So again, that was the first time I saw it sitting in the theater. Um, you, you know, so obviously the reaction possibly wasn't what Canon had hoped it would be. You know, was that something you were concerned with at the time? Like, did, did it have any kind of an impact on you, you know, coming out of the film and that kind of thing? I don't think so. I, I think that actors, I think you just say, I did the best I could. And then it's out of my hands. Um, years later, hearing what it could have been and the, the choice were made, and of course the cuts, you, this is the sense of disappointment of what it might have been or could have been, but so grateful for the opportunity to have been part of it that that just almost overshadows any disappointment that came later with the realization that it wasn't quite the film that we all expected to see. Well, I, I have to say, just on that note, Mark, I, again, Superman 4 was one of the first Superman films I saw as a kid. We taped it off the BBC and we watched it constantly growing up. My youngest brother, he discovered it in the early 2000s and he loved it too. And it, it was it was only years and years and years later that we discovered that there were people that didn't like the film. Like it had a huge magical impact on us. It's one of my favorite Superman films to this day. So I, I think, you know, it's definitely fair to say that while it has its critics, it definitely has its fans too. And, you know, it, hats off for everything you did. And you should be very proud of the film because, you know, I, I love it. You know? I, I, I still I still remember uh, vividly, one of my earliest memories vividly is watching uh, a VHS and seeing the trailer for Superman 4. And it was it's one of my earliest memories of of Superman of, of Christopher Reeve was seeing the trailer for Superman four on a on a VHS and being so excited to see it come out. And like that, I owned it on a VHS for years before it was released on DVD. And now it's coming out on 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 is it four K Rob? It's coming out on it's out on Blu Ray already. I have it on like I own it on VHS. I own it on DVD. I own it on Blu Ray. And now it's coming out on on four K. Are you excited to see? Is that something you'd be interested in sitting down and watching? Are you excited to see yourself in four K? Absolutely. And you know we talk about uh, what it, what it could have couldn't have been. But for example, going to Richmond later this month and to get a chance to to speak about these things or to speak to you about this film. For whatever it was or could have been, that I'm still 35 years later, we're still talking about it. And we can talk about it. And I can think about the experience. And when we have this conversation, I'm there in Elm Street. I can remember the feeling and the people and the thoughts that were going through my mind at that time. So the privilege of is that kind of film is, is part of you from then on, that you were part of a Superman film. It's not lost on me. Do people say in your own world, like when people meet you for the first time, do are you ever recognized as Nuclear Man from Superman 4? Is that something that you kind of drop into conversation after meeting someone? Or is it? does it play any kind of part in your life? You know, very rarely. I can work with somebody. I, I, I still own that. And I might have worked with them for four years. <laughs> and they never knew. And all of a sudden it comes up. Somebody says something. Did you know that my... And to watch their face <laughs> change, it's, it's, it's like this transformation in them. I, I know Mark is this, and he was that. But um, I don't think that you, it, it's a bit of an older film as well, and don't look the same anymore. It's 27 there, I'm 63 now. You look very well, Mark. I have to, to be honest, when you came on the screen, you're, 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 you're doing better than a lot of people, <laughs> trust me. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so, but when I 
as people do know, or if I have close friends, I always make sure that in, in my car, I have eight by tens yeah. and sign happy birthdays, things like that, but, but not very often. Yeah. But if you, if I ever needed a job, it'd be on the bottom of the resume, the CV, because if, if maybe they think, well, Mark's not qualified, but he was in Superman. So we want to meet him. <laughs> so it's been a great for opening doors and it's always been a great conversation piece and people love film. Yeah. And they want to know what it was like to be on a film, especially with such iconic actors and such and play and to put on a costume. I'd say, particularly gosh. for 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 that era of filmmaking where where so much of it was literally on set in camera for real. And there was no CGI. There was there was blue screens, but but to less of the extent that it is now where you know actors go onto a green screen and that's all they do for the entire movie. You were there, you were in the the Lex Luthor set, you were on Elstree Studios, you were lifting up taxis, you were doing all this stuff. It, in many ways, it's a more interesting era of filmmaking to talk about than, than the way kind of the similar movies are made today. I agree. Has it, has it surprised you over the last kind of 10 or 20 years or however long it's been kind of like people who were kids at the time, people like us, like I'm, I'm 38 this year, I was four at the time that it came out. Um, I have my own kids now and, uh, you know, I, I put Superman on regularly and all that kind of stuff. But has the love for the film that certain fans have for it, has that surprised you? Like as they've grown up that they've kind of brought this love, like you're going to com- you're going to cons now and you're meeting fans one on one. What has that been like? Is, is the interaction or the love for it, has it been a surprise or were you kind of expecting it or? It's been a bit of a surprise because I think back how young they were at this time and they, they meet me and, to have all those, all of a sudden these cons presenting themselves and didn't so much expect that to happen for a film from that era. But there's been such a re, an interest rekindled in those times and those films and how interested people are to meet you, take pictures with you, have you sign their autograph, ask you questions. What did that feel like? But so going to the cons has i mean just really started doing them again but such a joy to do because people are so happy to see you joyful to see you and to ask you questions so it's been it's been fun watching the research and the the, the interest again in that film and it must be interesting as well because i i understand that you, you know you, you're doing a lot of these cons with um some of the actors from the other superman films who maybe you hadn't met before can you tell us how, how those interactions have been? Like, have you become friends with them? Jack O'Halloran and Sarah Douglas and so on? Yeah, I've, I've met them for the first time in Detroit last year. And they're wonderful. They're one, the stories, you don't have to say anything. Just, just turn them on and listen to the stories. They're amazing to, to be around. And I can't wait to see them in a couple of weeks. I, I haven't met Jeff East before, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. Mariel, it, meeting her again, it was like... I just saw her. It's amazing when you see somebody you haven't seen in 35 years, but you say hello and it's like it was yesterday. And she looks incredible. She hasn't changed. Yeah, we'll have to try and we'll have to try and get uh, Mariel on at, at some point. And that was that that Comic Con or that con you you uh, mentioned there, Motor City last year that um, Jim and, and Jay organized, uh, who I know are, are friends of yours as well. Um, that that seemed to have been a, a fantastic success. Um, and obviously we, you have the next one coming up now. Can you tell us a little bit about that con, what, what people can expect from that or what the, what the arrangements are for that con when it's on and that kind of thing? Yes, yeah, so going out, I'm flying out to Richmond uh, Thursday the 23rd. So it's the 24th, 25th and 26th. Great bunch of characters are going to be there. I was just looking at the, the, the guests that are going to be part of it. This last year I was, was wonderful for me because it gave me a feel for the energy of them. What's the expectations, the panel discussions, the questions, who's going to be there, that type of thing. So this year will be even more. In, I'll, I enjoyed, I thoroughly enjoyed last year, but this year now, with ex, knowing this is, this is the process. Um, and now I still, I can't do them as often because I still work full time, but hoping to do them a couple of times a year maybe more because going away and doing them and in some ways stepping out of the normal, I guess you'd call comfort zone into a, because there is Mark doing what I do now. And then, but once you step into Mark, who was nuclear man, 
it's like Christopher as as Clark Kent and as Superman. You you feel that transition in the person that you are, it's and a identity and being yes. So you know, giving really listening, asking open ended questions, and how they make you feel that kind of thing, and and genuinely giving people the sense of what a joy it was to be part of such a franchise. And do you find people are maybe a little bit intimidated approaching you at the at the table? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe in the first moment, and I. I, I, I want to know that I always smile when I see them. And as they move on to absolutely acknowledge how grateful I am that they came to see me and to, to stop by for a moment. So giving that absolute, as much as possible, attention to each and every person. And I, I get more out of it than they do. That's what I think. I mean, this, this, at this point in my life, there's so much when I think about is, is now the giving back time of a person's lifetime. How can I now contribute, contribute? How can I help you feel good about what you're doing or speak about the past or give you some joy for a moment? If you if speaking to me gives you that. So I just go in when I, when I arrive in Richmond or these places, I just, I'm, I'm there. I belong to you now. Um, ask away. Let's have some fun. You 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 are truly on a quest for peace. <laughs> That's so corny. <laughs> uh, um, again, our listeners can't see you, but like you're beaming talking about it. And as Rob and I regularly go to to conventions and stuff, and sometimes you know you meet people who've starred in films and starred in projects. And they're not really checked in, you know, they're there because it, it can be a very, it can be a fantastic experience or it can be a very transactional experience, as, as Rob has said before, where you can see someone's not too um, interested or invested in, in being there and meeting, meeting fans. From talking to you here, I have to highly recommend that if anybody is thinking of going to a Comic-Con uh, to, meet, to meet you, to meet Mark and talk to you about the film, I'd highly recommend they do because you can really see your love for it and your passion for it and your gratitude for the part. And it's, it's really inspiring. I really have to say that um, of all the people we've interviewed, you're one of the most um, just, you're just so happy to have been a part of this project and it really, really shines through. And I, I think that's absolutely wonderful 35 years later. Thank you so much. And you use a very good word, gratitude. Very, very grateful for all of this. Rob, is there anything you'd like to ask before we wrap up? No, just if there's any other projects you'd like to mention as well, Mark, that we haven't mentioned, obviously uh, Galaxy Con is the big one at the moment, but is there anything else coming up you'd like to talk about before we go? Now, still still full-time work, what I do, uh, day job, and these cons, hopefully we'll start to do more of them. And if you can get me over to Ireland or to England, I, I would love to come over to Europe again. I haven't been back in a while. So, um, yes, that's life. Taking care of my two daughters and... <laughs> We'd love to get um, the, the the entire cast over to uh, well Ireland especially because it'd be cheaper for us than flying to the, to the UK. But uh, yeah, to get everybody over to get yourself over would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, that'd be that'd be super. We'll have to see if we can talk to someone about that. Oh my gosh, amazing! Mariel, Jack, Sarah, Jeff, um, Aaron, Smiles. Oh, it would be so much fun. Jim and Jay, we'll, we'll drink some Guinness. <laughs> At, I just wanted to thank to thank you as well, Mark, uh, for doing the autograph session with uh, that that Jim organized and Jay organized uh, last year, the year before. I, I I got an autograph from you, a beautiful moonshot of you and Chris Reeve, and that was just it's lovely to get because you know you never think you're going to get something like that from from someone like yourself. So it, it's absolutely it's beautiful a part of my collection. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Of course, anytime. Uh, Alan, do you want to take away the socials there? Absolutely, everybody. You can get in contact with us on Facebook and Instagram at All Star Superfan, on Twitter at All Star Superpod, and if you would like to contact us with an email or a voice note, please send it to All Star Superpod at gmail.com and we will include that in the next Metropolis Mailbag segment. Nuclear Man, Mr. Mark Pillow, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. It's uh, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robin Allen. It's been an amazing time. Thank you so much for asking me. Look forward to meeting you someday. Please, God. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a Guinness. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. Well, Alan, what do you think of that? Nuclear man himself. Uh, could not have been a nicer guy. Such a, such a nice guy. Very so nice down man. to earth. And like I said in the, in the interview itself, just someone who is full of, like, beaming with gratitude for being a part of, of Superman 4. And it is the kind of film where 
you know, someone could walk away from that very kind of bitter and disappointed and upset and um, by the way mm. it was edited and the way it turned out with the budget and all that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, it could have been like a huge break for any actor kind of breaking into the industry, especially for his first feature. And there was there was none of that. Like, like, like the listeners can't, couldn't see his face. But as he spoke about the film, he was smiling from ear to ear and you could just see almost like the power of the sun radiating from him. He was so full of gratitude and uh, and love for the film and the experience of 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 being there and doing it. I just thought he was um, exemplary. Yeah, and it, it sounds like uh, he's kind of got the best of both worlds now as well. He gets to live a normal life. He's got a successful career. And then, you know, he can secretly dip away, every, you know, a couple of times a year. And suddenly he's a celebrity at these conventions. You know, a lot of celebrities wish they could just not be celebrities, uh, you know, except for specific times. He just gets to pick and choose when he wants to be famous, which is, you know, it's kind of cool, you know. Um, and yeah, he just he seems like he really, really enjoyed the experience. He took so much out of it. He enjoyed working with all the actors and, you know, he got to sit beside Princess Diana at the world premiere. And, you know, if just because the film maybe wasn't received as well as people would have hoped or all the shenanigans with canon and the budget and all that kind of stuff, it still seems like he doesn't he doesn't harbor any ill will. And why should he? Um, Again, I spoke very honestly there. I think very highly of Superman 4. It has its flaws, but I really, really enjoy watching it. Um, through no fault of any of the actors or anybody who 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 participated in, but as well as that, um, he he was being very modest. The man looks great. Oh my goodness! He he's putting me and you to shame. We yeah. need to hit the gym or do that. Man looks phenomenal for sixty three years of age. Like he said in the in the episode, I couldn't believe it when he popped up on the screen. And the fact that he said that he would be willing to return to the role in some form or another that would be amazing i'd love that. he could absolutely even if he doesn't play nuclear man per se like yeah. he could play a kryptonian elder or he he could do a bunch of stuff if yeah. they brought him onto like superman and lois or something like that and we've seen it before we've seen sarah douglas on supergirl we've seen you know these legacy characters these legacy um actors yeah, my, like everybody, Mark McClure was there, and uh, yeah, Sarah Douglas, Helen Slater, like they've all they've all had a little go. Like I'd love to see Mark Pillow come onto something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be super. So yeah, I really hope everybody in, enjoyed that. Just just before we wrap up, Rob, are you enjoying any Superman material at the moment? Superman of- material at the moment. I I I'm ashamed to say I still haven't caught up on Space Age, and I haven't caught up on Woman of Tomorrow. Those are on my to read list at the moment, and I'm hoping to read them pretty soon. I'm also Alan. I'm having a little feeling that I might finally play an infamous Superman game that I've never played before. Uh, one that came out for the Nintendo 64. So I'll let you know how I get on with that. Uh, I, I've been playing uh, a lot of Goldeneye lately on a on a Nintendo 64 emulator and it really got me thinking that, do you know what, I'll just for the sake of like being a completionist, part of me wants to finally play Superman 64 the whole way through. So I'll let you know how we get on with that. I don't know if we'll do an episode on it or whatever, but I'll, I'll keep you posted. And just before we finish up, I would also like to mention uh, our friend Paul Rogers' new podcast, Spider-Man 77 fan show podcast uh, which launched actually earlier today the day of recording um, and the first episode is up there so uh, i hope people check that out if you're a fan of spider-man 77 paul is we've spoken about paul before on the show uh, he's a huge supporter of all-star superfan and just an all-around swell guy so uh, check out his podcast yeah my god if, if if you have any memories of that show at all paul is the guy keeping the memory alive of spider-man 77 he's doing a spectacular job and it's amazing kind of looking at some of the stuff he's created and some of the the ways he's kind of remastered the show and some of the people he's reached out to. I know that that, that is the topic of uh, one of the podcast episodes. So he's doing amazing stuff, kind of keeping the memory of that show alive. So definitely check out that podcast and check out his website as well. I believe he has a website all about Spider-Man 77 as well. So definitely check that out. Absolutely. He messaged me there during the week looking for some advice. I was like, dude, you're don't You're ask killing it. Advice. Ask, <laughs> ask, ask a pro. Ask someone who knows what they're doing. Um, so yeah, best of luck to Paul. Um, yeah, so until next time, Rob, stay safe, stay super, and take care. Bye-bye. Destroy Superman now. Destroy Superman now.